Welcome to episode 295 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Another week. Uh, this time we have a late night recording for me, 11 p.m. Marshall. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like Brian at night, but like spelled N-I-T-E. Yeah. The late pod <laughs> with Brian and Marshall. Here we are. Uh-huh. Uh, doesn't make any sense because people are probably listening to this on their on Wednesday morning. morning commute. Mm-hmm. How's that coffee, Sarah? Ooh, Sarah's going to be freaked out. Yeah, yes. we're talking about you, Sarah, in yes. your car, drinking the <laughs> coffee. We're talking to you. Ugh, I hope there's one. We just freaked out one. Li- the, like, chances are, statistically, there's probably one listener. His name is Sarah, drinking coffee in a car, listening to this on a Wednesday morning. Sarah, crush it today. <laughs> you got this. You got you can, this. You can do it. You're, you're gonna nail that job interview. Wow, we're getting real specific. <laughs> how, how deep can we get? We've got a very fun episode coming up. We're gonna be talking about social media and and public critique on the internet. We're gonna be talking about Facebook's recently unveiled redesign slash rebrand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, we're gonna be sharing our cool things. All that and more. But before we get to that, we get to tell you all about Abstract and a new feature that they launched this week. Yes, thank you to Abstract for sponsoring this week's episode. Abstract is the design workflow management system that empowers design teams and stakeholders to seamlessly manage, version, and collaborate on design files. So today, a lot of design teams, you're working on multiple versions of the same file. You're often butting heads and duplicating your effort. And as a result, you end up either overriding each other's work or you end up losing work uh, for other reasons. So so because we're still spending so many frustrating hours searching for files and exporting files from one tool to another and consolidating feedback from a bunch of different sources and never really knowing what changes have been incorporated and really what's been approved. And that's where Abstract comes in. They're like GitHub, but for designers. It's your team's version-controlled source of truth for all of your design work. It brings your whole workflow into a single unified place not only for designers, but also for developers and stakeholders to collaborate and keep your work moving forward. And this week, they made that a whole lot easier with a brand new feature called public sharing. So this is actually really cool. So you can generate a link to an abstract project. You can send that to anybody, regardless of if they have an abstract account or not. So that could be a client, it could be uh, a PM or a developer, anyone in your organization that might not necessarily be hip to the abstract product. You can send them a link and they can uh, review all of your work straight from their browser. And the the cool other sort of backend feature of this is that admins of abstract projects can see which links are being shared by the team. So you can have a global insight into what projects your team is sharing and where they're being shared. So that's really cool. And this just makes collaborating with non-designers that much easier. Yeah, that's a super cool feature, and I think it's going to open it up to a, a whole bunch of new people who uh, wouldn't been, have been able to use Abstract before that. So this is really cool. Good, good job, team. Uh, in just the last couple of years, Abstract has acquired over 100,000 users. That's people from companies like Intuit and Zappos, MailChimp, thousands of others across 75 different countries. They all rely on Abstract to improve their design workflows. Today, Abstract is the version control tool of choice for people who use Sketch, Uh, But in 2019, Abstract is going to continue to work on support for more design file types from the Adobe suite to beyond. Lots more to come, exciting features ahead. All this and more is available on a 30-day free trial for you and your entire team at abstract.com. Go check them out there at abstract.com. And again, that's a 30-day free trial for you and your team. You would be making a mistake 
to not do that 30-day free trial. You would be making a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the Mac terminal voiceover. Yeah, 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 I was doing a robot voice. Yeah, like. yeah, that took me back to middle school right there. Again, abstract.com. Thank you so much to Abstract. Thanks, Abstract. All right, let's get into the show, Brian. Oh my gosh, we have so much ground to cover, Marshall. <laughs> yeah, okay, let's do this. Let's do this quick. So I got a little bit of follow up that I'd like to add here. Hit me. Okay. So the first thing was when we were talking to T, we were talking about I, I mentioned Portal too at one point, the tutorial and how uh, it has you look at a picture to determine which way you want to have the y-axis without having to ask you. It just lets you do the thing and it figures it out based on what you try to do. I was wrong. It is not the picture that you look at. It has you look at the picture so that you move. It, it tells you how to use the WASD keys or, or the left joystick or whatever to move around. The thing that gets you to, to them to figure out which way you want to move up and down, it has you look at the ceiling and then look at the floor and it interprets your movements to invert the y-axis or not. And the other thing is just for moving around. So I was wrong slightly. You do look at a picture and it does check the y-axis thing. I just got them confused. But Gosh, dang it, Marshall. Can you stop making so many mistakes? For the record, you know, I have to correct the record, Brian. This is important. <laughs> People are paying attention. Heaven They're keeping forbid track. Someone, someone out there thinks that you don't really get what happened in Portal 2. <laughs> well, if you watched the video that I, sh- that I linked to in last week's show notes, you would know that this is true. And this is how I found out that it was true. Because I was like, let me go prove my point and go find a, a, a video of somebody playing through the tutorial. Oh, shit, I fucked up. Oh, well, I was close. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. You won't be the the first person to have made a public mistake and fucked up in this week's episode. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, speaking of which, uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up is uh, last week we were going through feedback on the cover art that I had done for, for Design Details Update. And Chris Dunn had uh, sent us a tweet. And I think in, in retrospect, this has nothing to do with the stuff you were talking about. I was just thinking about this. Uh, on my own, but I think I was defensive, and I think I probably misinterpreted what he had written. Like uh, the, the the tweet he had written was actually pretty helpful and gave some really good insights into things that could be changed, like the font, like the the, the logo type. Is that what it's called? That could be uh, improved, and he's absolutely right. And since then, I've been playing around making changes that that incorporate his suggestions, and and it's better off for it. So thank you, Krish. Uh, if I if I came across as like defensive last week, which I probably did, my apologies. And you gave good feedback, so thank you. I also call out that the latest iterations are—I'm excited about them. I like—I like where this is going. Maybe we can share some of those soon. Maybe the uh, Marshall, if you wanted to do that for this week's episode, we could. Yeah, yeah. Check out the Twitter Design Details FM. I'll, I'll put them out. Let's just go ahead and assume that by the time you're listening to this, we'll have tweeted an iteration to the show art work in progress. How about that? Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Krish. Also, we got some some nice tweets last week. We got some people uh, laughing about you singing the Avengers theme song while saying <laughs> oh, goodbye. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lots and lots of great. positive feedback about our conversation with T and and designing for games. So that was super fun. Yeah, y'all really liked her, and we did too. So good good interview person, Brian. Way to pick them. Yeah. Um, we've got some more interview picks that I'm working on that I, I hope we can announce soon. I. I Send some emails off today. So hopefully we'll have more exciting interviews soon. Cool. And final piece of follow-up, we got a DM this week from, at this point, I think friend of the pod, because this is the second or third call-out. Jonathan Fisher sent us a DM, says, I don't know why I did it, but I wanted to play the design details theme this morning on my piano. And Jonathan included a SoundCloud link. So we'll have that in the show notes. It is uh, moody. It is pretty. 
It is soothing. It's 40 seconds, so go listen to it. I listened to a podcast called Script Notes. It's about screenwriting. And one thing that they do is uh, they have a theme song for the show. And at the end of every episode, they play a listener-created variant of the theme song. It's really just four notes. It's kind of like an NBC-type jingle thing okay so it will be every uh song every theme song that people send in ends with those four notes right yeah boom, 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 boom. actually it's five notes but did you ever follow college humor yeah back in the day jake and amir for sure yeah so jake and amir have a podcast and i haven't listened to it in ages at this point but in their their early episodes every intro was a fan intro and i think it was an entire song wow so like fans would record Actually, you know what? Michael Schultz, uh, who has been on this podcast before, he's also a designer. He he recorded and sent in an intro to that podcast. I think that's awesome. I'm so terrified of even opening up that proposition because I don't know if we would get enough. <laughs> well, I mean, if you want to do it. And, yeah, I mean, and if you want to send us music. Yeah, send it in and uh, we'll throw it in if it's good. And this is good. So yeah, shout out to Jonathan Fisher. Thanks, bud. And thank you to everybody else who sent in questions and uh, tweets to us. We got all of them, even if uh, we're not answering the questions necessarily in this episode. We do see them. They are on the list and we'll get to them. So thank you for sending those in. Yeah, someone someone sent in a question that we realized we needed a guest for. And so that's, that's what I've been scheduling for. So some, yeah, we aren't re- replying, but we are reading. Okay, Marshall, you ready? I'm ready. There's, I guess, three topics I want to get your opinion on something we can discuss but in order to get there i need to give you a little bit of context okay so this week i had a very interesting week on twitter.com the website <laughs> yeah. for social media sharing and and snark mm-hmm. during the facebook f8 keynote zuck announced the fb5 redesign and i took one of the i took one of the screenshots of the redesign and i tweeted i have so many questions and then i just posted the screenshot of the the thing so that was was that all you wrote was just i have so many questions i have so many questions that's all i wrote okay and that was i guess funny it was a hot take it was it was a joke i guess however when i tweeted it i actually did have a lot of questions so i followed up with uh, a full-on tweet storm that I composed at uh, 11 p.m. at night, uh, sitting on my couch, typing like a madman. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was like, when he said, uh, when I when I saw the tweet of I have questions, and you're like, uh, I, I was, and you said we should talk about this on the show. I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I, I can't wait to hear what these <laughs> questions are. And then you proceeded to enumerate them in lurid detail. So um, yeah. So I, I tweeted out a, a very long list of questions. All of them were questions in one form or another, like uh, we'll get into some nuance here, but they were all questions that I had. And, you know, we're, we're talking about an unreleased product. So this is speculation. This is us having fun after an Apple keynote and saying, I wonder how this thing's going to work. So, okay. So those were the first two tweets. And then I think it was the next day uh, I tweeted another thing and I, I'm going to have to make a very embarrassing public correction, but it will lend itself to to a productive discussion here. I tweeted a screenshot of kickstarter.com. There was a small module on their website and the the font weight for the headline of that was unreadable. So I was legitimately on kickstarter.com trying to browse it and I couldn't read the headlines because I was using a font weight of 200 for uh, some title text. So I opened my dev tools. I Like ultra thin, yeah, very thin. Changed it to, to 500 so I could read it and I, and I went on my way browsing Kickstarter. 
And I just had this thought. I thought it's interesting that this one line, super small thing can actually have a really big impact on the usability here or the legibility here. So I went on on Twitter as I want to do and I tweeted the following. Would it be really annoying if I started tweeting tiny CSS tweaks to make random websites better? Something like this. And then I just showed my side-by-side uh, screenshot with, with the font weight tweak. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's what happened. This tweet got way more traction than I anticipated. This was the third time it happened this week. So at this point, like I, I've turned off all badges, notifications, like I can't use my phone. And then this one was just people seem to like this idea. So let's do two things here. First, I'm going to start with uh, a public apology and a correction because upon further investigation, I did realize that I basically made a mistake. And the mistake was the bad font weight that I found was specific to a single browser. So I use Brave. Which you've mentioned on the show before. Which sits on top of Chromium, which is the technology that powers Chrome. And so my natural assumption was, oh, this is how it will look on Chrome. Turns out that's not the case. This is a font weight issue specific to Brave. I have already talked to the the design team at Kickstarter and and let them know and apologized for how much this thing blew up. However, there's been some really interesting back channeling from from these three tweets. So you have the context and now I got some back channeling. I'll summarize loosely what the back channeling was. The first was people mentioned that my tweet storm about the Facebook questions was a little bit disingenuous. Basically, what I was doing was veiling opinions that I held and framing them as questions. And I think people were pointing out that I was doing that in order to avoid conflict and in order to avoid coming across as sounding negative. So instead of stating what I thought, I would just ask it as a question to basically, you know, preserve benefit of the doubt. If anybody you're being coy, acute. Yes, I was being coy. So that was some some feedback that I got behind the scenes. And then the second thing that I got feedback with related to this Kickstarter is really the topic that I want to cover today, which is around public critique and whether a tweet like the one I tweeted is even valuable in our community. So, Marshall, do you follow so far? I, I'm with you. I'm okay. with you. Listeners, do you follow so far? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So here I have three open questions. Okay. We'll go one by one and... See how long this takes, but I, I want your opinion. I want you to to be honest with me. I want I want feedback here, and I want to learn from these experiences. Are, are you saying that to me, or are you saying the listeners? This is to you. Okay. <laughs> We're back back in studio. All right. So the first question is: Where do we draw the line in design Twitter of making a joke, being coy, having a hot take, not taking ourselves too seriously? Where is the line between that and being a bad participant? in the design community. So what I'm trying to understand was, was that tweet storm and my my snarky hot take, I have so many questions tweet, was that bad behavior that we should tr- strive to have less of in the industry or, or on Twitter? Right, okay. So I, I think this all comes down to where your heart is, right? And what the intention was. And also that it's very easy to misinterpret words, especially if they are kind of referencing a meme thing, right? <laughs> like a, a meme-ish thing. Yeah. And I have questions is is a meme that usually has negative connotations, right? Right. Turns out, though, you really did have questions. <laughs> like, you really did have a lot of questions. And uh, I think in this particular case, 
I don't think this was necessarily bad behavior, but you left yourself open to misinterpretation by the way you presented it. Okay. Which I think you've probably learned that lesson now. <laughs> um, and yeah. yeah, but it's it's very easy to read words and put your own tone on them in your own head and you know a- attribute an emotion or a-, a take to someone that isn't necessarily true. This is why when you work at a company of any you know reasonable size, you usually have to go through some sort of training where they say, <laughs> whoops, <laughs> this is the type of thing where you want to have a face-to-face conversation. This is the type of thing that you can you might want to do it over a phone call. This is the type of thing it would be okay to just do over text, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the okay thing for email. Depending on the situation that you're in, a different communication method is necessary. So there are some that require more face-to-face things and some that don't. And I think this is probably uh, one of those that would, would benefit from not being uh, just text on a screen, <laughs> you know, to be yeah. misinterpreted wildly. Yeah, I, I think my takeaway from this is, I was being coy and as such, I should expect a response in kind. Like I shouldn't be surprised if people... Your snarky comment. Call me out for that or, or reply with snark and, and yeah. yep. basically see if I can take it as, as well as I can dish it. And, you know, <laughs> that's something that I'll get better at. Okay, so that leads me to question number two, which is about the, the second follow-up tweet where I actually tweeted a, a list of questions. And this is one of those interesting things where the public response to that was fairly positive. I think like people that work at Facebook replied and said, you know, this is a good list of questions. Yeah. That's what I thought when I saw the list. I was like, oh yeah, this is a really good (laughs) list of questions. Well, I, I, I got some dissenting feedback in the back channels. And so here's what I want your, your thoughts on. The question is, Is it really useful to ask those questions in the public sphere on Twitter where they're more or less rhetorical? Like, I'm not actually expecting somebody from Facebook to answer those questions. They are just going into the void. Like, is that useful for those questions to be floating out there? What do you think? Uh, the, The context here being, I had some people tell me that it's not useful, that uh, I'm basically avoiding stating my opinions, like there's no actionable outcome from that. So what's the point? Yeah. I mean, uh, that's not necessarily true, right? There could be action, like the people working on it could, could see that. I mean, you're not doing anything differently than anyone else does, right? Like this is a, this is a pretty common thing among designers, regardless of the number of followers they have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But that even is important to call out. Like, even if other people are doing it, I'm, I'm, I want to distill some, some truthiness here. Is it just because other people do it? Does it make it good or bad? Sure. Necessarily. Can we determine if this is something good or bad that people should do more or less of? Well, I mean, I think nowadays most modern companies look to social media as a regular form of input from their customers. The amount of salt they consume while they also consume that feedback is, you know, variable to the company, but by which I mean, take it with a grain of salt. But ultimately, I think Twitter and Other social media platforms are great ways for users to tell the company what they want and what they think. And, you know, it's not all just forms you fill out and and surveys you take. If you're a random person that gets, you know, given the survey when you're using their service, a lot of this comes from people just speaking their mind openly. And and to be be fair, like the feedback that companies get on Twitter 
is both more transparent and more exaggerated than they would get if they were to do a traditional survey method. Because typically what happens on social media is you amp it up to get a reaction from the people who do follow you, right? Yep. I don't necessarily do this, but I think this is a pretty common pattern of like, you make it worth something by amping it up, but it comes from truth, right? It's a, it's a thing that you actually thought of and you actually believe and feel and you want to say it, but then you say it kind of in a bombastic way. One of those things is okay, one is not, obviously, but, but I think companies, when they're looking for feedback, one of the places they look is Twitter, and these types of tweets are useful, I think, or at least informative, right? Right. I guess I, I'm not trying to, to alleviate myself of any responsibility, but I think the interesting context here is that I did get replies from people people that worked on this at Facebook. Mm -hmm. Now that's the scary thing, right? It's one thing if you're just screaming into the void. It's another thing if somebody goes, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to name any names, but basically somebody that works literally on this redesign reached out and they took it in good spirit. (laughs) Like I'm guessing, I don't know if I got lucky. Like it's also somebody that I, I knew from when I worked there. Like there's so many factors here that sure maybe would be received differently depend like if you change any of these variables but in this specific case like this is coloring the situation that they replied and they said those were good questions <laughs> so yeah. i don't know and i think the whole point of this exercise because that's what this is right this is an exercise you you weren't necessarily expecting answers for these things they were just genuine questions you had that you were thinking about as a designer looking at a design these are the things that would go through your mind if it, if you were critiquing it and you worked at that company or whatever, right? And so the value of this is like, are we good enough or like, it's almost like a puzzle. Like, can we figure out what was happening behind the scenes? I do, I do this exact same thing when I'm watching a movie or playing a video game. You know, when I'm watching a movie, I'm watching it like a screenwriter. Like I'm, I'm thinking about it from, from a structure standpoint. And, you know, if I see... You know, oh, oh, the camera held a little bit longer on this thing. Okay, that's probably foreshadowing. That wasn't a mistake. I'm guessing that that wasn't a mistake, and they left those extra frames in there, not because they have a bad editor, but because this was intentional, right? And then later, maybe that pays off. So I'm looking for that kind of stuff. This is the exact same thing. of just like, this button is here, and it looks like this. I wonder what the decision behind that was. I wonder if it's maybe because of this. I'll, I guess we'll find out, right? <laughs> but like, that's not, a, that's not a bad thing to, to have your mind in that frame, I think actually that's a it's a good thing to keep to keep that mind frame keeps you on your toes right maybe asking the thing in public is not the maybe yeah that so we're on the same page like that mindset I think is good that's how I basically use every app I'm every time I click a button I'm like why was that button like that but is asking that question in public useful I I don't know like people some people said it was useful and some people didn't yeah and I'm wondering if we're in a solution where there is no right answer and it's just up to me to determine who you know, accept the fact that there's enough people out there that are going to, that not everyone will disagree with, with the things that I say from this point forward. I want to make everyone happy, damn it. (laughs) I know, don't we all? I think probably one's hesitance to tweet something like this or post something like this should be relative to the number of people they expect to see or hear it. And if that number is high, then they should probably take more care and how they say the thing they say 
If they're just going to be screaming into the void, it probably doesn't matter. You can say whatever you want to. You're saying they instead of you, like you're not talking. Oh, I'm just gen- generalizing it. Yeah. I, I, so, you know, if one were two, right? <laughs> sure, you know? sure. Yeah, I think having having an audience is is something you need to take into account. I mean, this is this is something that celebrities have to grapple with, right? You're, you're nowhere near that. So don't don't fool yourself, Brian. <laughs> uh, excuse me. Here I come, Brad. <laughs> That's a reference to Brad Pitt. Uh, okay. Yeah. And Brad Cooper. Gotcha. All the famous brats coming for you. Anyways, what I was trying to say is I think that, yeah, the more the more people you reach, the more careful you have to be. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't say something. And and the more people you reach, the more understanding you have to be, the more understanding one has to be when negative comments come in in regards to the thing they said. Yeah. So either your skin needs to get thicker or you need to stop saying things that might have negative consequences, right? Which would you do if you were me? I mean, my my gut reaction there is I need to have thicker skin, but I don't I don't want to be grading to the conversation on Twitter, even though yeah. it's already ninety nine point nine percent grading. Like I don't know, <laughs> don't know if there's much uphill room here. But yeah, what would you do? Yeah, I think that having the mindset of a lot of people are going to see this and some people are going to hate it will help you to compose that tweet in such a way that it will, your true intention will be conveyed. So I think that's, I think that's the thing is, yeah, ch- make sure that you're saying it the right way and, uh, and be ready for the things that, that come back because of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, to not belabor that point, let's move on to my third open question. And this is coming back to this Kickstarter tweet. Let's just go ahead and move past the fact that I obviously <laughs> fucked up. Uh, yeah, I found a browser bug. I didn't find something that actually really needed improvement. So let's zoom out. Let's abstract this. And let's talk about the idea of finding something. Let, let's assume that it wasn't a browser bug, okay? Let's let's go back to the original assumption, the, the mindset that I was in when I found this. The question is, is it unfair for me to more or less call out this design team or a particular designer who worked on this over something that is essentially, in my opinion, something that is bad and could be improved. Yeah. Okay. Or is it, would it be more effective to send them an email or find their Twitter handle and send them a DM? Or is there something about doing this in public that is valuable for people that elevates the conversation so that other people can learn from it. Like, how should I think about this? And there's this element of like, this industry is small. These are all peers, and there's a high likelihood that I will cross paths with all sorts of people that work on things that, you know, I might not like or I might disagree with the decision. Like, how should I navigate (laughs) this? And I think the last piece of context here is what's been interesting is the public response has been overwhelmingly enthusiastic, largely, I think, from more relatively younger designers or I saw a lot of people who who replied to that tweet were developers. That tells me that there's some audience out there that does front-end work that wants more like tactical design tips. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But anyways, I've asked a lot of sub-questions, but really this is about like how should we think about critique like this in public? Okay. So, I mean, just like the text message to face-to-face conversation gradient, I think there's a gradient here, and that's everything from a public tweet to an email, right? Or a, a DM or something. And in between there, I think, you know, you got DM, 
and then you've got a, a reply or a, just an at mention that won't show up for everybody if, unless they follow that company or that, that receiver, yep. recipient, whatever. And then you have a public tweet with an at mention, but the period beforehand so everybody can <laughs> see it, but you're still straight up saying to them, like, yeah. hey, I found this weird thing, right? Or you can just say, Figma's got there, you know, or sorry, not Figma, but oh, I guess let's use a specific uh, example. So, you know, F Figma has this weird thing going on. Here's how I'd fix it, right? I think probably a at least a dot mention would be the right thing here if you wanted it to be public for people to find it, but also frame it as like, hey, this is just a, a, a public bug report, right? Right. As opposed to being like, Shit's fucked up, and I know how to fix it, right? <laughs> the tone here is important, but yeah, keep mm -hmm. going. Here's an, another one. is You could, if the goal is to teach the lesson, you could abstract it, not do your screenshots, make a similar situation that you, you know, make yourself side by side and say, this one uses weight 200, this one uses 500, this one's better because it's accessible, etc. It doesn't have to be of the product a screenshot calling out anybody. You could just learn the lesson, teach the lesson rather than the specific example. I hear the point, And I think that the dissent I've gotten from that tweet has been around like, why not just abstract the, the UI in question and just show here's thin weight font on the left, thicker weight font on the right. Here's why you should consider font weight when you're writing titles. Sure. I think that's a fair point. I just can't get over this internal question of, is it not still useful to see that in the context of a product UI. Like I think if you abstract it and just show the thing itself on a white background side by side, it's so obvious. Like, well, of course this one's better than the other one. Right. I, I'm trying to understand if it's useful to show things that might be mistakes or bugs or, or product improvements in the context in which they appear which is surrounded by lots of other UI. Like it's harder yeah. to see some of these things when it's surrounded by photos and there's totally. there's multiple levels of metadata and there's color in different parts. Like, is it useful to have the surrounding UI? Yeah, when I suggested recreating it, I was I, I, I was thinking in my, yeah, yeah, just like change the text, change the picture, but keep the structure the same, keep the font weights the same, everything else. Oh, I see. You know, just abstract it, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess, um, you know, that brings to mind like the refactoring UI Steve and Adam. Yeah, totally. And that that uh, little what was that test we took? I'll I'll put a link in the show notes. There's the the comparison test of like which one's right, which one's wrong. Oh yeah, the game. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, it's the same thing. Just like left and right, which one's better? Hey, maybe you could just maybe you could turn this into into a thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me throw one more wrench into this. Okay, sure. And then we can move on because spanner for those across the pond. We're really, we're really overthinking some Twitter interactions. Okay. Last wrench I want to throw into it is related to that third question, which is around public critique. And one other thing that happened this week, which I just think is really interesting is I tweeted a request at Figma and they shipped the thing like within a couple of days. Nice. And when they shipped the thing, they did it in a public way, like they drew attention to it. So it had it got more attention than it probably should have. So what I did is I reached out to the Figma team and I asked them, hey, is it annoying when I tweet feature requests and bug reports in public? Like, am I being an annoying asshole on the internet? And the response that I've gotten so far has was loosely, it's useful for somebody in the situation I'm in where there's just a certain number of people that follow my Twitter feed that the number of likes there can actually help to 
prioritize the thing as opposed to getting seeing lots of disparate tweets where nobody's replying to that or engaging with it. Totally. Yeah, yeah. And this is kind of what I was getting at earlier about, you know, looking to social media to see what people are saying. But this is, even, I think, actually probably a better way to do that. You, I mean, this, this sounds pretentious, but like you're giving people a voice by, by letting them basically piggyback onto... I know, it, it sounds so pretentious and like savioristic. Right, but like you say a thing and they go, me too, me too, me too, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's valuable. So. so that's in contrast to what we just said, though. Like we just said, if if there was if there was a UI bug or, or a way to make something better, let's abstract it away so that we don't run the risk of you know accidentally calling somebody out or offending a design team at a company. Let's let's abstract the problem and make this a lesson. That's in contrast with calling out the yeah. the the company and and getting it giving it visibility in a way that the company might not have expected it should have visibility. You know. Yeah, it's it's almost as if this is a complicated subject. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this is tough. Like and, and this is why I'm saying like I think you need to use your your own discernment at, at any given point to to judge each particular case as necessary. There's not a right answer for everything. I think each each thing needs its own answer and you have to be the arbiter of that based on your situation. Case by case makes a lot of sense. It's the, that's the least satisfying answer there it's, is. It's the least satisfying answer. I think another takeaway for me is there will be dissent no matter what. Mm -hmm. Haters going to hate, Brian. Haters going to hate. Not even haters, but like... I'm just dumb fire. <laughs> Twitter is a noisy place, and I think people become really defensive of their feed. And if noise inserts the feed that they deem unvaluable, they get mad at the noise creator. But one designer's noise is another designer's signal. And so I'm just going to annoy some people when I tweet things. However, that's that's not a justification for for doing things in a rude way or an offensive way or having a tone that is belittling. And if I were to sum up my learnings here, it's that I'm probably going to abstract things away from brands and designers unless it is explicitly asked of me to publicly critique somebody that's fair i think that's fair and i i think i would couple if you abstract i would couple that with a private message letting them know like hey this this thing i noticed is messed up or or maybe it's not messed up and this is intentional but i noticed it right yeah maybe it's a browser specific bug that doesn't deserve a tweet that got way more fucking attention than it should yeah have. well the way that i handle this is over the last few years and I don't even I don't think this is even conscious but I tweet a whole lot less and the things that I do tweet generally are things I love right I only really say stuff if I'm if it's positive I tend to not publicly say negative things right that doesn't stop me from complaining to friends and stuff but um <laughs> yeah but when it comes to my the things i say in public and the things that are recorded for eternity on the internet i guess this show included i try to be positive or i try to i try to only say the things that i love truthfully right like i don't lie and say things something is good and i like it if i don't but it, it's just a lot easier to maintain a good mental health situation yeah yeah and and you'll still like it's it's far less likely that I'm like I love this thing and someone's like I hate it. That doesn't Fuck happen you. very often, right? How dare you? But if I say I hate this thing, I'm gonna get somebody who says I love it. You're wrong. That's a nonsense conversation. Now that you mentioned that, I gotta bring up a counterpoint though. 
because okay. while you are just a man, mm-hmm. I think what you've just described is a sentiment that more and more designers in the industry are subscribing to. And I think that the net result is, one, we see a lot fewer tweets from senior designers for this exact reason. Like people in leadership positions at companies tweet a lot less. Like the downside risk is just way too high. And as a result, in my opinion, and I'm curious if you agree, I think that design Twitter is, it's unable to critique itself. Like it is unable to point out Hmm. things that could be better for the reasons that you've just described. People just feel it's not worth it. Yeah. And I think there's people out there that, that feel like that's a disservice to the industry, to the craft, yada, yada. I don't know how deep I want to go into that, but... I think I kind of agree that the more the more of us that say, you know, just not worth uh, risking blowback, I'll keep this quiet or private, the the less critique that happens in public for younger people to learn from and, and try to understand, you know? No, that's fair. Here here would be my thoughts on it. Yeah, hit me. <laughs> not that you asked. No, I, I, it was implied. It, I always want your thoughts. Uh, when I was coming up, thank you, Brian. When, when I was coming up in the biz, no names, but there was a prominent high number of followers design thought leader guy who I followed on Twitter. And eventually I just realized like, oh, this guy's an asshole. <laughs> like this guy's just an asshole. And he just says mean things because it's provocative. And I don't I don't even know how much of that was actually genuine, right? He's just trying to like get a rise out of people. And that really turned me off to that to that whole mindset. Not that that's what I think you were doing, obviously, but nor do I think that's the only other way to be other than be positive. But it turned me off so much that I try to stay away from being that person as much as possible. Yeah. And, and I think that that is a an eventuality that will happen, you know, and I try to avoid that. I suppose it's just a shame, right? Like, I think, I think you have a lot of valid critiques and criticisms and those end up as conversations between you and me in text message (laughs) and the world never sees them. And I guess you are, are less stressed out. I'm just wondering if we multiply that behavior by, by basically every designer, what's the long-term eventuality? Like, have we, I mean, we've probably already lost the ability to have nuance on the internet, but (laughs) is the ability to recover that just slipping away day by day? Yeah, uh, yeah. There, there is no nuance in the internet. That's the easy. That's the easy answer to that <laughs> okay. question. But I think I think the important thing to keep in mind here too is that I do not bring this philosophy to work. Like part of my job is sitting in launch reviews and and other sorts of reviews and like looking at other people's work and being like, this is the wrong font size and you know you need to change this thing and it doesn't have a the proper tap area here and et cetera, right? And uh, I do not hold back. I, I'm diplomatic about those things and it's a formal environment where that is the expectation is that there will be feedback like that. But I, I don't let my nice internet personality influence my ability to make changes through criticism. It's only on people's products who I have no association with that I would be making those criticisms of if I were to do it online. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a fairly safe way to go about it. I wonder if it ever leaves you feeling conflicted about the truthfulness of what you say on the internet. Like, oh, everything I say on the internet is true. <laughs> not untrue, but it, it's uh, it it's representing a sliver of of yeah. who you are, right? For sure. Yeah. Maybe that's. But fine. dude, like, okay, I think there's an <laughs> there's an entire generation of kids growing up on the internet right now that are that are posting pictures and saying things that will be remembered forever, especially for the jobs, you know, the interviewers and the res, uh, the recruiters uh, of their future. Uh, careers and those things stick around forever and they never go away. And uh, I'm I'm worried about the next generation of kids. I, I, f- I feel like probably the leeway will increase for that type of thing. So like, oh yeah, you're young, young and dumb. And I did those young and dumb things when I was young and dumb. They just weren't recorded, f- you know, for eternity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing is true not only of a younger generation, but of my generation, of every generation, the things you say online will follow you around forever. So be careful what you say. And I'm okay putting out things that I love on the internet. <laughs> I can improve people's yeah, lives that yeah. way. I can suggest cool things. I can give credit where it's due and build people up. And maybe this is a, a Pollyanna thing. I'm just wearing rose-colored glasses and uh, rah, rah, yay the earth. But I don't know. I, I find it's a far healthier way to live my life than being more combative, especially online where it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that it doesn't fucking matter part is a little defeatist. Like at the end of the day, some of this stuff does matter. Okay, sure. Fine. Okay. Like there, there are some consequences to the things that we build and put out into the world, especially, you know, at the companies that we work at, like there is mm-hmm. consequence here. Yeah. And I, I think you raise a good point of like, part of the way that I did learn was by watching other people say stuff online and Twitter was very, very small, you know, much, much smaller than it is today. Simpler time. Back then. Yeah. It was yeah. A simpler time. I joined Twitter in 2008. Can you believe that? Ugh. wow. Isn't that crazy? Simpler times indeed. Yeah. But yeah, so I think, yes, by omitting these types of critiques on Twitter, it is is less helpful for new designers coming up. That's totally true. But there are far more resources available to those same people today than there were back when I was coming up. So maybe it evens out. I don't know. That's true. There, There's way more uh, tutorials and resources and, and useful YouTube videos than there were back when you know, we turn to, yep. to Twitter for expert opinion. So think of something, there's a medium article or YouTube video about it for sure. A hundred percent. That's a good point. Let's interject or I guess move on. I think the only, the only way I want to leave this is, you know, just turning it over to listeners. I'm curious how this conversation has resonated with, with people who listen to the show, people who perhaps saw these tweets, people who have experienced something similar or, or experienced a similar internal debate about, how do I approach what I'm doing in the design community in public? I'm not sure. I'm learning as I go. Is this even interesting for you to listen to? <laughs> like, did we just waste an episode talking about touchy-feely feelings? No, I think this is interesting. I think so, too. But at the very least, people got to hear me publicly admit a fuck-up. So I hope hope that was worth the, the wait. But let's move on, Marshall. <laughs> I know it made me feel good, Brian. I hope so. <laughs> uh, I should probably tweet this apology, too. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is a good example and, and, and testament to, I think, like what I said at the very, very beginning of this is like where your heart is at, right? And I think your heart is in the right place. Someone who is an asshole and who only meant to ruffle feathers would not even be considering an apology, let alone a public one, you know? Yeah. 
Well, thanks, Marshall. Yeah, you're a good man, Charlie Brown. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, actually talk about Facebook. So Facebook did propose a redesign. Yeah, this is what people showed up for. Let's talk about this Facebook redesign, please. Yeah. Okay, I want to do a couple things. So I, maybe let's just start with the fact that I got answers to some of my questions that I asked on Twitter. Yeah, boy. So I talked to some people that work on this Facebook redesign and, and a couple other folks that knew answers to the questions that I asked. Here's a couple high-level ones. I'm, I'm waiting for them to get back to me with if they get comms approval, mostly because I don't want anyone to have the slightest risk of getting fired. But these are all good to go. So uh, the new design is going to be responsive. And the reason that we don't see any ads in the right sidebar, like they're basically removing the right sidebar from the current Facebook. And one of my questions was, I wonder what they're going to do with all those ads that go there. Turns out those ads in what they call the right rail account for less than 1% of Facebook's revenue. Really? So my take on that, it's, it's probably fine that they're going away. And maybe if they really want to make up for that 1%, they'll, you know, a 1% increase in feed ads or, or 1% increase in stories ads is probably less noticeable than an entire region of your, your UI dedicated to, to ads. This sounds like a huge win to me. Yeah, seems like a win. So uh, there's two answers there. The third answer is I asked, why is the profile photo of the person who's logged in, why is that the middle tab of the primary navigation tabs? I don't, you have an answer? Can I guess? Yeah, guess the answer. Okay. So I think in this setup, there are seven main tabs, right? And typically kind of where you would expect to see that profile photo would be far right, right? In the nav bar on the far right. Yep. That's where most everybody puts it, which is why you were so taken aback by it being in the middle, right? Yep. Okay. So what they have there is settings. My guess is this was far more important or I, I guess having access to your profile is important enough that putting it along with all of the other main destination tabs, like notifications and video and all that stuff groups, it rises to that level of being a, a sibling to those things. And if you're going to put it anywhere and you have seven of them and the rest of them are icons and this is the only picture you have, uh, you put it in center, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, I, I think it's probably a function of the prominence of the feature and then visual balance. If I were to guess what the supporting data here would be, it would be there's some percentage of people that visit Facebook and the first thing they do is check their profile to see if there's something... How many pokes they got. <laughs> yeah, if there's something new there or it is, it's mirror gazing. Like I want to look at myself and that's, it reminds me of an anecdote. I, I'm going to biff this a little bit, but it was loosely a company or a building was getting a lot of complaints that their elevator was really, really slow. So instead of fixing the elevator, all they did was installed mirrors in front of the, the button and all of a sudden the complaints went away. So people, it turns out people like to look at themselves and they took that time to, to preen and fix their hair. Anyways, I wonder if, if there's a similar behavior happening here. People go on Facebook, they quickly check their notifications, then they just want to double check, how am I looking? How do I appear to everyone else? <laughs> how do I appear to, to the world? And, you know, I'd be lying if I said I haven't done that before, especially, you know, when I do it is when I meet new people and they add me as a friend on Facebook, <laughs> I go, oh, shit, I wonder what their first impression of me is going to be because because I haven't looked at this in a while. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's I think your your answer is is right based on the folks that I talked to. Here's here's the actual answer that I wrote down. This is why this is so fun. This yeah, is why doing this, this is exercise fun, right? is so fun. Yeah, so they said the profile is considered a tab in the navigation. 
that's it. I mean, that was their answer, but I think that is what you've said. Like, it is considered primary navigation. Therefore, we're not putting it as the secondary element floating to the right, where you have to have two clicks like Twitter does to view your profile. Yep. So I think you got it. And and if you're going to put it in with all those other icons, either you put it over to one end or the other, which I think would be weird, or you put it dead center, which is what they did. And which it, is new. Nobody's done that. Yeah. It's interesting, the order of these tabs, too. Like... I wonder why Messenger is last and why Marketplace is in kind of the middle. Like, I wonder why. Me too. I, I don't know. I have questions, Brian. <laughs> these, these were the questions I asked, my friend. Are they dynamic? <laughs> Will they change depending on which features I use? I should caveat. I don't use Facebook. Like, I, I still have a Facebook, but I haven't touched it in years. Probably like five years. That's crazy. But if I were to do this, I would have, yeah, I'd have home and then notifications or the bell, whatever that is, activity. I don't know. And then I would have Messenger, and then my face, and then video, and then groups, and then Marketplace would be last. Assume that's Marketplace yeah. or some sort of store I would thing. assume actually for you, if, if this were truly dynamic, events would probably be up there above Marketplace, probably above video. Oh, yeah. Well, do you use events? I don't do anything, Brian, but I don't go to stuff people invite <laughs> Real me to. Real world interaction? <laughs> I don't Ugh. leave my house. You know this. But yeah, that's a good question. Like, why isn't events one of those tabs? Yeah. Isn't that a, that's a pretty huge Facebook feature, no? Yeah, and it would be on brand with their new messaging around. We are for private, small conversations. That's why this redesign is focused on groups and messaging. Events would be on brand there, in my opinion. But Hell, I'd like to have gaming up there, right? Oh. Like, I'd put gaming up there. <laughs> they read your Facebook bio and said, this boy games. <laughs> yeah, my guess is, though, these will not be editable. You won't be able to drag these around or anything. Yeah, that's probably a safe guess, but I guess we don't know. Do you want to just hit me with, you know, let, let's not get too crazy here because we haven't used this, but hit me with some of your high-level thoughts or takeaways based on the screenshots. And I think for context, this is interesting to talk about because we're talking about a page on a website that creates $50 billion in revenue every year, and they've redone it. Like, they threw stuff out, they reskinned it, they reorganized it, they threw out some rules of accessibility that I would have assumed they would have followed, uh, specifically, you know, having labels for the primary navigation like those yeah. are gone and this is a, a, a company but that they have hover states and yeah, all yeah, tags tool tips yeah. and stuff but this is a product that billions of people use and makes billions of dollars and it's getting an overall i think that's just inherently interesting to to try and understand how they navigated this and and how how much they tried to to protect existing behaviors while also realizing things need to change so hit me with some of your high level thoughts yeah, so I, I'm looking at the current version of Facebook now. And if you ask me what year this was designed in, I would not say a current year, right? This this feels like it has the weight of many years of people working on this thing, building on something that was a foundation created a long time ago. I think that's probably true. So yeah, continue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when I look at this new Facebook redesign, I'm like, ah, this feels like something that was made today. I fucking love it. Like, again, I don't use Facebook all that often, but, <laughs> but like just looking at it, like it makes me want to click around. Like it's so, uh, to use a Steve Jobs term, lickable, right? Oh, like, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should I have not said that? You said it. It's in there. It's cut in, it. Okay, not it's out editable. there. <laughs> all right. But no, it's like, it's just not garish in the way that the current one is kind of like, overwrought with ornamentation this one feels like 
they're using white space a lot more to delineate separation. I like I, I like the simplification, the loss of the sidebar um, or that that side row or what you call it column. Uh, the right rail. Rail, yeah, the right rail. Happy that's gone. I think it's interesting that stories is so prominent here. That makes sense. <laughs> like this feels more like the desktop version of the iOS app, which is what I use most of the time. And the new iOS app version feels like a better version of the old one, or at least like a, a, I don't know, a sexier version of the old one. Like you said, it's interesting they're not using labels in as many places, but for the most part, like as I go through these screenshots, like I like the new profile page layout. It's interesting they're doing a blur in the background of the banner. Like, I'm not sure if that's necessary. It's also interesting. One of your questions was where does the search thing, uh, where does the search field go on these like leaf pages? That's a question I have as well. I'm wondering if when you hover over the Facebook icon, if it pops out a magnifying glass or something, I don't know. But yeah, events looks great. I'm into all of this shit. (laughs) Like, wow, Marshall. Wow. Wow. That's a high praise. High praise. Maybe I haven't looked at it close enough, but like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at activity. This all makes sense. I mean, there's some gradient stuff that's interesting that I probably wouldn't have done because there's so much flat stuff elsewhere, but whatever. The new Facebook blue is something that I'm really interested to talk to you about. Okay. Because I, I'm happy to see this new blue. I never really liked the old dark blue, but it is far more generic. And it's it's just uh, kind of shocking to see them get rid of that such a, um iconic color. Oh, dark mode too? Fuck yeah, dude. Am I just a shill? Am I I'm just am I just a basic designer? Oh, in one of the replies to my tweets was that I was I was a surveillance capitalist apologist or something like that. Surveillance capital. Oh, because sure, <laughs> because it's Facebook. Okay, high level. I think the redesign of the entity views, that would be a user profile, a group, an event, a page. I love the changes. Those are all consistent. The information hierarchy makes a lot more sense to me than it does in today's variant, which is left sidebar, left navigation with right sidebar. Like it just never really flowed well. And this, I think the the consistency works well, but the the organization of information makes a lot more sense to me. I'm wildly impressed that all of these orgs within this company managed to get all of these wildly different use cases to adhere to loosely the same information architecture. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, no, yeah. As I go through this, this feels as one. Yeah, these the sub pages feel as though a designer designed them, more or less. I think the newsfeed view is the one view to me that feels like I am looking at a dashboard of buttons to take me places away from the reason that I viewed Facebook. And what I mean by that is there's so much navigation here and there's so little content from the newsfeed that's visible. Yeah. This feels like a dashboard that says, get away from me immediately. This is my honest feedback. I'm trying not to... (laughs) To offend anyone, because I know the Facebook folks will, will listen to this because they told me they will. <laughs> oh, no. I just feel like there's a lot of navigation here that does not hit me the same way on any of the other pages. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I would want from the, from the home tab would be, let me hide the sidebars. If you could hide both sidebars, and the left sidebar showed you the grid of icons vertically, or the, the column of icons, and the right sidebar showed you a column of your, your contacts profile photos, 
and you had this beautifully centered newsfeed and stories, uh, that would do it. Yep. Until then, newsfeed feels, I mean, it's just crammed in there. You can't really, it, it's suffocating, in my opinion, with like left, top, and right. It's, it's claustrophobic. Thank you. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I, I, I guess I kind of assumed these would be able to be hidden, but maybe not. Uh, yeah, because I mean, because they're not visible on any of the leaf pages, right? Like the profile or events or anything. So I guess I just assumed that. And that this is just like, hey, look at this state, all of this stuff in one screenshot, right? For economy, right? Yep. So one one other thing before we get to, to blue and stuff that I think is really interesting is that they hide the primary navigation on all these leaf pages. So when you're viewing a, a group or a profile that's not your own, it looks like the top bar's gone. I think that might be a dynamic behavior. Yeah, I wonder if when you hover, it comes in, like if you get into that row at the very top where those three buttons are. Sorry, I, I, I know a little bit more. Maybe there's a hover there. Oh, okay. I, I don't know that. But I think what they're going to do is some sort of dynamic nav bar based on how you navigated to that page. For example, I think that if you landed directly on an event page, maybe like from a Google search, it might have the entire Facebook navigation. But if you navigated to that event from the newsfeed, I think they might dynamically hide the navigation and provide you with that back button in the top left. Ah, That's an assumption, could be wrong, but I think that's what's happening here. But I think either way, it is an interesting decision to remove, like you go from newsfeed, which is only navigation, to a profile, which is like no navigation. It's like this gigantic photo and and like content you're immediately into this about section in the newsfeed you have like a tiny row of sub navigation but it's all content so there's just such a stark difference there that i was surprised i wonder if it was because when you're on any of those leaf pages none of the top nav tabs are selected so all of them are in their inactive state and maybe they didn't want to show that like if if nothing is selected then why even show it well let me hit you with this you're viewing an event page there's no nav bar at the top and you get a notification does it pop in yeah does it pop in where does that go so that led to (laughs) perhaps we're looking at a signed out view maybe if you're signed out on a leaf page and you click the back button it takes you to facebook home because there's nothing dynamic to show you there's no notifications there's no chat like there's no new messages that you could receive yeah yeah hmm. i don't know uh, any settings that you would change would just be local so it wouldn't matter oh, yeah. to your well then it would account. be weird that there's a settings button in the top right hmm so it doesn't seem like it's signed out well settings could still hmm, that would be depends weird. on what's in there if it's like <laughs> helping you know it could just be like help and feedback goes in there yeah and, yeah you know no, that's a good point okay well i don't think we're going to get any more answers uh from that so you want to talk about the blue please do you know things because I, I don't have any suppositions i i just like, oh, it's different. I wonder why. I don't know any things uh, except that this has been in the works since I was there in 2015. So the color change. This is the type of thing that takes forever, forever, yeah. forever to go through. So I'm not surprised. Yeah. I have no context into why the blue is changing. The, one of the questions that I asked in the Twitter thread was like, Facebook owned that blue the old blue yeah i totally agree with you on this and point. it's basically non-existent in the new one except for the the logo which is tiny even then it's only at the bottom of the gradient yeah well some folks commented like we do have a lot of cultural things happening here that we should probably take into context like facebook has had a pretty bad year in the press for sure and if they are trying to refresh things and and really move in this privacy direction focus on groups and messages here's another element that is changeable that I mean, very effectively, does not look like the old Facebook. 
So I think there's perhaps something going on there that this is not necessarily about which blue is better, but merely which blue is different. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> it's an inversion too, right? So so today the, the website has a, a blue header background with a white square with a blue F in it. And now we have a white header background with a blue circle with a white F in it. Yep. Circles are far more friendly shapes than, than squares, even rounded rectangles, right? Yep. So, and it, it's in line, it's a nice balance to the settings circle on the far right. So some symmetry there. But yeah, I mean, I, I like it and it evokes familiarity and friendliness in a way that the other logo does not. Wow. Do you disagree? No, I was trying to make a joke that that sounds like, um, it's like a Donald, Don Draper kind of thing. Oh. <laughs> like I have a hard time when... It's not a wheel, it's a carousel. <laughs> Look at the subtle curves of that round wreck. Mm, that four pixel radius, just mm-hmm. so playful and light. Mm, don't you just want to click it? Are you uncomfortable yet? Yeah, very, very <laughs> uncomfortable. Thank you. Okay, good. All right, moving on. One more thing I'll call out here that I thought was cool. Like this is technologically cool. They shared a video, which we'll have a link to in the show notes. I sent it to you, Marshall, but I don't think you had time to watch it. But they uh, showed a tech talk about how some of the engineers built this and they showed how they made this responsive they showed how they approached dark mode nice they showed how they approached some accessibility settings like it's actually a pretty useful video and one thing that was pretty cool i don't know how far they're going to take this but they're making all the text dynamically sizable so that it will respond to the user's operating system settings or browser settings for how large they want type to be but that it does it in a way that it doesn't zoom other elements of the interface. So I think this is fairly standard, but what I think they're opening up the possibility to do is have a user customize how big they want the type to be. Basically, how you can customize how large you want the type to be on your iPhone. Dynamic text. And I wonder if that could sync up. And like, you know, another element that we haven't talked about is this looks exactly like the iPhone app and it is responsive. And when it's shrunk down to a mobile viewport size, it looks exactly like the iPhone app. Like, I think there's a whole lot of consistency coming in here. And some of this, these features like dark mode and dynamic type, I think are perhaps, a, you know, just more elements that, that bring the two closer together, which is cool. Like, that's technically impressive. For listeners who do decide to watch this video, I think you only need to watch the last 13 minutes or so. That's where they get uh, start talking about the user experience. The first two thirds is about React and JavaScript performance and in the weeds stuff, which is interesting, but maybe not for for everyone listening. No, I'm glad you told me. I'm going to skip to that last 13 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Anything else? No, I think this has been a good good conversation. Like I said, I, I, I like it, but I don't know if it'll bring me back just because I don't really feel a need for it. But uh, it, I, I will, when it comes out, I will definitely click around because um, I'm sure pe- I know people who worked on it and it is a good example of the result of a lot of people working really hard for a long time on, on one thing all together. And that, that always excites me and makes me happy and makes me want to check it out. So cool. Well, until that happens, I guess uh, we can leave it there. So, Marshall, should we get into cool things? Oh, yeah, because we haven't got on long enough. Yeah, let's do some cool things real quick. Yeah, I'll go first. So this week I want to share a fun little app. I like these micro single-purpose apps. Um, I know about this. I actually almost downloaded it. Yeah, I downloaded it. I subscribed to it. I pay somebody $2 a month for it. And that app's name is Rolly. The URL is rolly.co. R-O-L-L-I-E. And this is a spending tracker app. 
with a very, very lovely design, a very, very limited feature set. Mm -hmm. Super simple. But the one feature that they execute on is the exact feature that I wanted, which is show me a very, very simple list of how I'm spending money across all of my accounts. And at the very top, show me a balance across all of my accounts. That's all I want to see. Uh, and they do that in a really nice way. So I have like three accounts, sub accounts of Bank America. I have two sub accounts of Chase. I can connect all of that and see my spending across all five of those things. I can see sums and and uh, credits and debits for each individual one. The The type is lovely. It is black and white, which is my style it is super simple and in a, a way that is restrained rather than like cheap or lazy i agree i think the first week is free and then you pay two bucks a month for it i check it once a week it's two bucks this is one person that made this app i think it's cool super happy to support that and all the payment connection stuff happens through a third party called plaid so i don't think there's any uh security or trust vulnerabilities here as long as you know, Plaid is safe. And I think they're a fairly reputable payments company. So this is why I didn't download it. Cause I was like, I don't know if I trust this yet. Oh yeah. yeah I'll let I, Brian download it first. Well, when I first saw it, I said no way, but then I, I researched and it does use Plaid and you know, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm gullible. Roll those dice, Brian. Roll those dice for that sweet, sweet UI. But it, yeah, it does look good. <laughs> it the things we do. The things we do for <laughs> pixels. Yeah. All right, hit me cool. with you. Cool, that was a cool thing. Your cool thing, yeah. Okay, so for my cool thing, this week I'm going to share a YouTube channel, <gasps> as is my pattern, my MO. As is tradition. Uh-huh. Uh, every few weeks I got to do it. So, uh, and, and also I'm going to talk about shoes. So also on brand. So the channel is a guy named Seth Fowler. He is, he went to school for industrial design, but his YouTube channel where he reviewed sneakers took off and he quit his job and now he does this full time, but he reviews sneakers on YouTube. And so there's a, a few cool things about this channel. First off, like he gets all sorts of crazy shoes and, and wears them and shows them, has good cinematography. He speaks well. He's pretty funny. And they're good reviews of the shoes, if you're into shoes. But one of the other things he does is he has the series called If I Designed. And because he's an industrial designer, he's actually a really good artist. And he has a Cintiq Wacom tablet, right? So he will have it will set a challenge for himself of like the easy 300 uh, easy 350 right now it's on the version 2 he, and he's like okay what if i were to design what if they called me tomorrow and said we want you to come in and design the version 3 right how would i how would i incorporate the existing styling elements to make it still feel like it's in the, the same type of shoe and the same line but evolve it and make it different. And he'll, he does all these drawings and eventually he renders one that's not quite photorealistic, but like pretty well rendered, right? And you end up with this really nice looking shoe at the end that doesn't exist, but looks good because he's an industrial designer. Uh, he's done that with the Off-White Jordan, Air Jordan 3. Uh, he did it with a couple other shoes, I think, but it's a really interesting part. He also d uh, does a recurring series segment thing called Sit or Sell, where every... Uh, a couple times a month, he'll go through all the new shoe releases and predict whether he thinks the shoe, based on hype and all these other aspects, will sit on the shelves or sell out. And he'll give it a sit or sell stamp. Oh, cool. You know what I wonder when you talked about the If I Design? I mean, this is the unsolicited redesign of, of the shoe world. L literally, yeah. And he caveats like hell, too. <laughs> I, yeah, I wonder if there's as much a drama in shoe world as there is in software design world of like, ugh another unsolicited redesign of the Yeezys. 
please. I don't know, but looking at the view counts, this video, these videos have like three times as many views as his other videos. But I bet you'd find the same stats hold true of people that say, "Here's my unsolicited redesign of." Facebook.com. Totally. I mean, every time every time someone comes out with like iOS 13 concept or a, a new Apple Watch uh, UI concept, I'm eating that shit up. Like, I want to yeah, see yeah, yeah. what those ideas are. So, like, yeah, I mean, it, it might be perilous for the person putting out the redesign, but it's cool for me, the consumer, so I, I get it, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyways, that was just a small parallel. All industries are... Loosely facing the same problems, I think so. Totally. Anyways, yeah. uh, continue on as you were. No, that's about it. Uh, okay. Seth Fowler on YouTube. Good, good shoe stuff. If you're into shoes, I recommend it. What do you think is the the minimum number of subscribers you'd need to have on YouTube to go full time? Well, he has four hundred and fifteen thousand. Yeah, I see that. So somewhere between one and four hundred fifteen thousand, he said, <laughs> "I can quit. I can do YouTube full time," and. Hopefully the number was big enough that, you know. So it's rarely ever YouTube full-time. It's YouTube full-time plus I have merch, plus I do Twitch live streams, oh, plus I have sponsorships. Yeah, media deals, parties. crossovers, mm-hmm. things like that, yeah. Yeah, like it's I have a Patreon, you know, or I, I have uh, memberships on, on YouTube. Like there, it's never just I make videos and the ad revenue pays for my stuff. It's all, there's always more more things on top of that. And sure. if you live stream, there are even more revenue sources on top of that. So I don't know. Got to work hard. It's a lot of work. Yeah. I think it's probably about... Because I assume if my Twitter followers are, are any indication, not all 415,000 of those subscribers are like active, you know, uh, viewers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking through his recent videos and he gets like a 25% hit rate, more or less. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, more or less, right? But I mean, that's pretty good. That's right? amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so it's not just the number; it's the it's the number of active people in that number. So, if your ratio is higher than other people, then maybe you can quit your job sooner. I don't know. It's something I think about a lot, though. Not quitting my job to become a YouTuber, <laughs> but like, you know, creators and like what they go through and and what their lives are like. So, I mean, you gotta admit, it's really cool that that's even possible for people to do. It's a very uh, liberating thing. I mean, I hope it works out for people that do this. That's that's really admirable and probably scary as hell. I mean, that's that's my job is to make it possible for these people to do this, right? Look at so. you enabling young creatives everywhere, Marshall. Yeah, it's a it's a cool thing to be a part of. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, that's true. Seth Fowler, check him out. All right, links in the show notes. This has been a longer episode, everyone. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Another one. Another one. Two back to back. That was a lot. It was very fun. And let us know what you thought of today's episode. I think we talked about several topics, but your feedback is helpful. I think what's interesting, I mean, for me personally, is I get a very, very different set of responses from the people who reply to my tweets than the people who DM me replying to my tweets. And I think that discrepancy is really fascinating to me and i've been digging really deep into understanding why that is so that's the i mean that's that gradient i was talking about earlier like some people have determined like no this is a dm conversation like no i'm gonna do this in public so let us know what you thought hopefully you found it interesting otherwise uh the facebook redesign conversation you know lots to come there in the meantime we're gonna wrap it up before we go huge thank you to abstract for making this episode possible abstract is a design workflow platform for designers and developers and product people. And they've made it so much easier to collaborate this week with the introduction of public sharing. You can share a link to anybody, whether or not they have an abstract account. 
making it easier to get feedback on your designs, socialize the things that you're working on, and build better products together. Go get your team signed up for a free 30-day trial at abstract.com. Thank you again, Abstract, for making this episode possible. And of course, thank you to Sarah and Drew for putting up with this extra long episode this week. (laughs) Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Drew. They are our editors and producers and masterminds behind the show, among many other shows that are on the Spec Network. It's at spec.fm. We make a bunch of podcasts for designers and developers just like you. So if you want more podcasts, go check them out. They're at spec.fm. I think that's it. Good one, Brian. Bye. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. <laughs> What's up, everybody? This is episode 295 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> okay. <sighs> okay. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Design Details. This is episode 295. Welcome back to the show. I'm Marshall Bach, your host for the evening, and this is my co-host, Brian Levin. Get those thumbs ready to smash that share button, because this episode is going viral. Hit that subscribe button, ring that bell, <laughs> let us know that you care about the show, leave a comment below, check out the description below. <laughs> I 